According to early numbers, ratings for the Grammys plummeted a stunning 33% over last year's viewership. The awful awards show lost a third of its audience, and rightly so. We will analyze why Americans are tuning out and how Aristotle warned us about Kesha and Kendrick Lamar. Then, Ali Stuckey and Elisa Crouch join the panel of deplorables to discuss FBI Director Deputy Director Andrew McCabe stepping down after embarrassing texts emerged suggesting that the bureaucrat may have used the federal government to undermine the Trump campaign, the Netherlands approving the assisted suicide of a 29-year-old mentally ill woman, and a new study published by Cambridge University Press showing that conservative men and women are hotter than our counterparts on the left. My panel of deplorables must have contributed greatly to this scientific study. Finally, King George III dies on this day in history. I'm Michael Knowles, and this is The Michael Knowles Show. Speaking, before, we have so much to get to today, but we do have to talk about this first. Speaking of uh, hot men and women, there are, look, there are a lot of cute little conservative girlies out there. And one thing I will say, in my single days, before I uh, met this, the angel of sweet little Elisa, before we were, uh, you know, going to get married and everything, there, I, I was. Oh, I had one thing going for me with the ladies. I had only one thing going because you know, an actor didn't really make much money at all. I didn't wasn't working in finance or one of these like you know cool guy jobs or anything. I'm not exactly an Adonis, I, but you know, I don't think I'm an ugly guy. But I'm not uh, like a big beefcake or anything like that. I had one thing going for me, and that would be these luscious locks, baby. I have a full head of hair. Thank you to both of my grandfathers. <laughs> I have a lot of hair. Um, but for two out of three men, hair loss can begin before the age of 35. I didn't know that. I thought it happened much, much later than that, but it isn't just your dad's problem. By 35, two out of three men will start losing their hair, and hair loss is actually easy to prevent if you get started early. So uh, this would be Keeps. Keeps is a new sponsor, so they help us keep the lights on, which is an important thing. But uh, the other thing is they might help you keep the lights off in the old boudoir if you're if you're having a little trouble with this. So you, you need, look, we, it, we're in an age now, appearances really matter. This is the age of selfies. You got to make sure that you look good. Keeps is a new comp company that offers a simple, clinically proven, affordable way to stop hair loss. With Keeps, it is easier than ever for guys to keep their hair. And it, it is really important to keep your hair. So uh, I, I've, I tried to tell uh, Clavin this. I tried to tell Drew this <laughs> decades ago. Unfortunately, Keeps wasn't around then. So, uh, you know, uh, then he became the lord of the multiverse. But uh, Keeps offers the only two hair loss products that are clinically proven to keep the hair you have. So, you know, you watch television, they say, well, you know, this will keep the hair you have and you'll live forever. And, you know, all this promises a lot of things that are totally not true. Keeps is proven to work. So it's entirely online. You can sign up in less than five minutes and it's only 10 to $35 per month. Now, guys, that is nothing for, for uh, keeping your hair. Let me tell you, I've had nothing going for me in the old lady department except for this one thing and it's worked out pretty well. Uh, that is $1 a day or less on average and you can get your own sweet little Elisa to fall in love with you. Uh, this is half of what you typically pay at the pharmacy. So getting started with Keeps is very easy. You just answer a few questions and you snap a few photos of your hair. A licensed doctor remotely reviews your information and gives you the right prescription all without ever leaving your couch. Marshall, you know this. I, I am a millennial, 
if something is overpriced or I have to move at all to do it, I'm, I'm not going to do it. I don't want to do that. I'm, I am fused to my furniture. I do not want to go anywhere. I don't want to go to a pharmacy. I don't want to, I'd want it all uh, from my couch. So within two to three days, a three-month supply of your treatment will arrive perfectly packaged at your door. And I will say, because I don't know, some people are, t I actually don't think it's really anything to be embarrassed about, but some people are touchy. They don't want to seem like they're putting hair loss treatment or whatever. Uh, so Keeps I, it, is very good about this. It just comes in a regular box, just a nice regular box that comes here with uh, uh, Keeps. You can see the product right here. It's very nice. It doesn't, there's not like a blaring sign that says you need to get more hair or you're, you're losing your hair or something. It's just per perfectly uh, discreet packaging. If you're worried about that sort of thing, which I really wouldn't be. There's the package, really nice. And it comes to your door, most importantly. It's very affordable. It comes directly to your door. You don't have to do anything for it. And invest in yourself. You're going to regret it 20 years down the line if you're suffering from severe hair loss and you haven't, uh, you could have taken uh, easy action for 10 to $35 a month. So what you should do right now, stop hair loss today, the easy way with Keeps, offering customized treatment plans with the only clinically proven hair loss products for about $1 a day from the comfort of your couch to receive your first month of treatment for free. That's a great value. Go to keeps.com slash covfefe, C-O-V-F-E-F-E. That is K-E-E-P-S dot com slash covfefe. That is a free month of treatment at keeps.com slash covfefe. What is it, Marshall? Keeps.com slash covfefe. Even Marshall knows it. Keeps.com slash covfefe. Keeps, hair today, hair tomorrow. And then eventually your own sweet little Elisa. Then maybe you can get your own, maybe if you're a lucky guy. So the Grammys got destroyed in the ratings. 33% uh, down on last year, which already was performing pretty dismally among the key 18 to 49 demographic. It was awful. I watched it. I am, I am the guy who watched it, or at least some of it, which, which is saying something. I believe I constituted a full 50% of the Grammys audience from last night. And I only watched parts of it because both Drew for his show and Fox and Friends First made me covered it. Uh, if one of them had asked, I would have refused because life is too short, but both of them asked, so I watched it. It was horrific. But it did bring to mind some curious thoughts on the culture. First, last night's Grammys prove Aristotle right. We will explain more on that later. And Patti Lapone's performance showed that our musical culture really has decayed. It's not just nostalgia, it's not just sentimentalism. Our popular music really is worse now. So to begin, let's really get started. I'll put my keeps down here. To begin, whatever it is that Kendrick Lamar does should be illegal. As I'm, I'm kidding, maybe, I'm sort of kidding. It is not just awful music and not great culture. And it's, uh, it's ironic actually that I'm talking about Kendrick Lamar because I actually kind of like the idea of Kendrick Lamar. For the culture, he's probably a positive force. He's apparently a devoted Christian. He doesn't do drugs. He's monogamous. He's engaged to his longtime girlfriend. Uh, he credits all of his success to God. He said, quote, I got a greater purpose. God put something in my heart to get across, and that's what I'm going to focus on, using my voice as an instrument and doing what needs to be done. He made his way out of Compton. No easy task. He doesn't shoot or stab people, which puts him leagues ahead of other famous hip-hop people like Snoop Diggity Doodad and Jay-Z. Uh, he did vote for Barack Obama in 2012 because he said Mitt Romney doesn't have a good heart. I don't like that very much. That's, that's neither charitable nor true. But all in all, the idea of this guy is pretty good. And he is among the best that the music industry in 2018 has to offer. 
but his music is terrible. It's just awful. Uh, that, that for some people, this is their primary exposure to art. This is what they think art is. That is a tragedy for our culture. Here are some lyrics from Kendrick's bizarre, apparently, I guess, political opening at the Grammys. Quote, run for your life. You couldn't understand any of this, by the way. I had to Google this and look them up. Uh, run your life. I live a better life. I'm rolling several dice on your life. I live a better life. I'm rolling several dice on your life. I live a better life. I'm rolling, so you get the point here. Run for your life. I live a run your life. Ah, this is my heritage. All I'm inheriting money and power. The mecca of marriages. Tell me something. Ah, you can't tell me nothing. I'd rather die than to listen to you. My DNA, not for imitation. Your DNA is an abomination. This how it is when you in the matrix, dodging bullets, reaping what you sow and stacking up the footage, living on the go and sleeping in a villa, sipping from a Grammy, walking in the building, diamond on the ceiling, marble on the floor, blah, 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 blah. Sends on the way, killings on the way. Won't you tell them I got millions on the way? So the, the lyrics are just completely incoherent. The music isn't really even music. I would play a clip, but I think I'll probably get flagged for inter intellectual property. So take my word for it. And then I, I also won't subject you to this thing. Uh, uh, Tr Trump's tweet to Jay-Z is more musically compelling rap, but we will get to that later. So Lamar talks through whatever that was. Then Dave Chappelle, whom I generally like, he's generally sort of funny. Chappelle comes on stage and says, quote, I just wanted to remind the audience that the only thing more frightening than watching a black man be honest in America is being an honest black man in America. And this is Chappelle's shtick. His comedy is largely just about how awful it is to be a black man in America. Chappelle, by the way, is worth an estimated $42 million, but... He seems to be doing okay. The shtick, however, is usually funny. Usually. Fun Last night, it, eh, no. You know, it seemed like an easy joke. It wasn't terribly motivated, whatever. Then they kept singing, or whatever they do. Then Bono came in for some reason, and then it was over, thankfully. In Aristotle's Politics, Aristotle observes, quote, Music directly imitates the passions or states of the soul. When one listens to music that imitates a certain passion, he becomes imbued with the same passion. If over a long time he habitually listens to music that rouses ignoble passions, his whole character will be shaped to an ignoble form. And that's what we're seeing here. Alan Bloom wrote about this too in The Closing of the American Mind. And this is typically caricatured as old fogies yelling, get off my lawn, and, and talking about how rock and roll makes the kids immoral. But uh, he has a point. Hearing is the most soul-shaping sense. Faith comes through hearing. It's the most important sense. St. Paul writes about this in Romans and Galatians. Faith comes through hearing. Why is that? The first act of Abraham, as portrayed in Genesis 12, is to hear the voice of God. He hears the voice of God. No burning bush, no fire, no clouds. It's the voice of God. Because hearing implies a relationship. Seeing, reading, they're more solitary. They're more voyeuristic. They're more open to distortion. The angel doesn't send the Virgin Mary a letter. As Pope Benedict XVI explains, then at the time Cardinal Ratzinger, Mary hears the Holy Spirit, the Word, so fully that it becomes flesh in her. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The creation itself is an act of speech. God says, he speaks, let there be light. Hearing is the most important sense. And so bad music is worse than bad paintings, or bad recipes, or bad movies. There's something seriously insidious about bad and bass music. So with that in mind, enter Kesha. Uh, Kesha came out and did some ditty, apparently, about the Me Too slacktivism. 
This is ironic, in part because Kesha was like the first Me Too person. Kesha had these awful experiences, awful abuse at the hands of men, and she was kind of ignored for it. Uh, but now she gets to do her Me Too thing. And, uh, but uh, only one woman uh, won a major Grammy Award last night. So, so much for Me Too, I guess. So much for the seriousness of Me Too in the music industry. The main gag of the night featured Hillary Clinton, who just last week was exposed for having covered up a sexual harassment incident on her presidential campaign. Not, not believing the woman, not punishing the alleged culprit. Now, I know what you're thinking. Hillary Clinton has made a career out of enabling sexual predators and smearing his victims, but apparently this was a separate incident. So the, the Me Too, Time's Up, Virtue Signaling, Slacktivist Grammys not only feature Hillary for some reason, but they featured her reading excerpts from a book, the Michael Wolff Fire and Fury tabloid thing, that falsely portrays one of the most powerful women in the country, UN Ambassador Nikki Haley, as a bimbo who is sleeping with Donald Trump, a charge for which there is absolutely no evidence. Evidence, there, there, there's none for this. So a terribly offensive charge, an actual example of some of the disrespect toward women that these Me Too clowns pretend to care about. Then Camilla Cabello, Cabello, whatever, uh, whichever, whoever that is, I've never heard of her before this experience, gave a speech about why we should give amnesty to illegal aliens at the Music Awards, the, uh, uh, how we need a national policy to abolish national borders. I don't look to pop celebrities for my political philosophy, but that is a logical error that is hard to miss, trying to have a national policy to abolish the legitimacy of national policy. Uh, so she said, quote, today in this room full of music's dreamers, we remember that this country was built by dreamers for dreamers chasing the American dream. And th this is one of the problems with all of these euphemisms, the lefty euphemisms, because her statement on its own is true. America was built by dreamers, I suppose. Uh, Christopher Columbus was a dreamer. The pilgrims were dreamers. Founding fathers were dreamers. But America was not built by illegal aliens who were born after June 15th, 1981, and have continuously lived in the United States since July 2007, half of whom don't speak English, and a quarter of whom are illiterate which is what the so-called dreamers are referring to, a very specific group of illegal aliens in the country that was arbitrarily chosen to be the sympathetic group for amnesty. But America, it wasn't built for those people either. People from bad circumstances have long come to the United States to prosper and improve their lot. And that's wonderful. It's a good aspect of the country. The United States wasn't built on the premise that we shouldn't have any national borders or, or have the right to enforce democratically enacted uh, law uh, decided, uh, you know, deciding who gets to come in and when. The United States wasn't built so that we couldn't have the ability to govern our own country and our own immigration systems. Okay. Then U2 comes out and says, blessed are the hellhole countries. I'll say hellhole. But you know the word. They're referring to, you know, not very nice place to live that uh, Donald Trump said. Blessed are the hellhole countries. I suppose Bono here is trying to make a theological point. But of course, because he's Bono, he made the opposite point that he was trying to make. Our Lord in the Sermon on the Mount says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who live under wretched conditions on earth because their souls are better prepared for the kingdom, are, they are blessed, they're blissful. Uh, a camel more hardly passes through the eye of a needle than a rich man enters the kingdom of heaven. This is a consolation for those living in wretched conditions on earth. What it explicitly is not is a call for the poor to become rich people. Our Lord doesn't say, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So do everything you can possibly do to make more money. Right? If the hellhole countries are blessed, 
It certainly doesn't follow that people in those countries should then try to come to the United States. That would be the exact opposite of the advice on the Sermon on the Mount. And actually, that is the point that Donald Trump was making. He said he doesn't want them to come here. So apparently Donald Trump and Bono agree because these musicians have no idea what they're talking about on the politics that they spent the whole night spouting off about. Then there was a bunch more terrible music, and then Hillary Clinton showed up. Here she is. Fire and Fury spoken word auditions. Take one. Trump won't read anything. He had a longtime fear of being poisoned. One reason why he liked to eat at McDonald's. Cousin. Cousin of mine. My fourth cousin once removed. Oof. Yikes. On the one hand, I do almost feel bad for her because this is truly humiliating to keep harping on this, keep up all of the snide comments, the self-obsession, the media appearances. People say that Donald Trump isn't dignified. Donald Trump is George Washington compared to this woman. On the other hand, I almost feel bad for the musicians. They hysterically and ignorantly harp on politics because their art is bad. That's why they're doing it. If they had good art, they would just do the art. That'd be, that would suffice. But their art is awful. It's not just that it's not my taste. It's not just different strokes for different folks. It's objectively bad, lyrically and musically. The, the saddest moment of the night came when Broadway veteran Patti Lapone showed up and sang, Don't Cry For Me, Argentina. This is a song written by Andrew Lloyd Webber for the musical Evita in the 70s. This isn't the height of culture. It was just your run-of-the-mill pop music from 1976. By today's standards, it's the Brandenburg Concerto. Unlike most, if not all, of the performers at the Grammys, Patti Lapone is a talented musician. Unlike most, if not all, of the performers at the Grammys, she carries herself with grace and dignity on the stage. The other performers, the other so-called musicians, possess none of those things. And so they complain that they don't get paid enough millions of dollars. Or that they're unhappy because their preferred politician lost an election two years ago. Or some people didn't get a gold trophy and they really wanted one and others got the gold trophy instead. It is really pathetic. Because conservatives are always bemoaning cultural decline. That, that's the stereotype. It's the old guy saying, in my day, things were nice. And what are you kids listening to? Wah, wah, wah. And usually I think that's just sentimental. That's just saccharine nonsense. Things change, whatever. N not everything new is worse. But this is worse. The popular music that Grammy artists are churning out is worse. It's worse lyrically. It's worse musically. It's worse, worse technically. It's worse choreographically. The performances are worse. We know that. Because we could compare Kendrick Lamar's incoherent babbling and Dave Chappelle's lame jokes like a hack hoofer in a dying vaudeville show with a performance that even just a few decades ago would have been pretty good, considered pretty good. Nice, you know, but by the standards of today's Grammys, it is the height of art. This is one of the reasons I'm so pleased that President Trump is eager and able to fight cultural battles. On the one hand, it makes it easier to pass some decent public policy, but also we just need to clear this out, this degraded popular culture, make way for something better. We need to clean house and government too in our bloated, corrupt, insolvent bureaucracy and make way for something better. So Jay-Z calls Donald Trump a racist. In an interview on CNN, Trump fires back at Jay-Z in a tweet. Here's Jay-Z. Because once you do that, all the other closet racists just run back in the hole. You, have, you haven't been fixed anything. What you've done was spray perfume on a trash can. Mm, mm. And what you do when you do that is, you know, the bugs come and you spray something and then they come and then you create a super bug, right? Because you don't take care of the problem. You don't take the trash out. You just keep spraying whatever over it to make it acceptable. And then, you know, as those things grow, you create a super bug, and then now we have Donald Trump, the super bug. I'm 
super bug. It's like the new superfly, super bug. And so Donald Trump fires back. He writes, somebody please inform Jay-Z that because of my policies, black unemployment has just been reported to be at the lowest rate ever recorded which is hilarious, and not many people have picked up on this. Scott Adams, as usual, saw it right away, and he should. This is so obvious from the tweet. Donald Trump responded, uh, responded rather, in the form of a rap. Somebody please inform Jay-Z that because of my policies, black unemployment has just been reported to be at the lowest rate ever recorded. Mic drop, MC Donald, I am Wonder Mike, and I've come to say hello. Uh, <laughs> that is Jay-Z, a billionaire, Jay-Z, a billionaire claiming in the interview that money doesn't really matter. And then Jay-Z, a convicted criminal who has dealt drugs, shot his brother and stabbed a guy at a nightclub. He pled guilty to that. Jay-Z goes on television lip quivering because Donald Trump allegedly said a crass word at a closed door meeting. Here, here is Jay-Z talking about how hurtful that is. Every African country is a whole country. Mm-hmm. I mean, how does that land with you as a dad? Yeah, that's, it's, it's like, it's disappointing and it's hurtful. It really is hurtful more so. Like, everyone feels anger. But after the anger, it's really hurtful because, like, you're like looking down on a whole population of people. And you're so misinformed because these places have beautiful people and have beautiful everything. Yeah. Um, and it's just, like, this is the leader of the free world speaking like this. They have beautiful people because all people are children of God. They don't have beautiful everything. These places don't have beautiful everything. In Haiti, the country is so poor and crime-ridden, there's such scant access to resources that mothers feed their starving children pancakes made of mud. That isn't beautiful everything. It it would be nice, I suppose, if we could say everything is beautiful there. The the way we know that everything isn't beautiful there is they all want to come here, and we give a lot of charity, and we send missionaries to these places to help them out. And and Jay-Z, Jay-Z, a guy who pled guilty to getting so angry at a club one night that he starts stabbing a guy multiple times, he's saying, oh, I'm so so hurt. I'm so hurt. I'm so delicate. Me, Jay-Z, so delicate. And they do it because they don't like Trump. But unlike any other Republican in my lifetime, Trump fights back. And things cannot decay forever. The ratings can't fall forever. The performers can't degrade themselves into nothing forever. At some point, we will reach the bottom, and then something new will come along, and the culture will improve the one hopeful aspect of all this, as I just lost my night watching this awful award show, in 2016, we did not expect the political renaissance that we're seeing now. Uh, perhaps a cultural rejuvenation will take us by surprise too. And if these Grammy ratings are any indication, it cannot be long now. Okay, enough about the awful fake musicians. Let's bring on our panel. And uh, But before we bring on the panel, Marshall, you monster. I know all they want to do is see this. They want it because conservatives are hotter than lefties. But before we do that, we got to talk about man crates. This is a very male-heavy show today. We're talking about uh, growing our hair back and, and the man crate. I love man crates. I'm getting a second man crate because they are so cool. So giving your guy a box of chocolates for Valentine's Day, I'll speak to you as a guy. I like chocolate as much as the next guy. I'm a big gavone and a glutton. It's very boring. We don't. It doesn't do a lot. You have to surprise him. Uh, with a heart-shaped box of delicious beef jerky, the ultimate snack phrodisiac. That is, I, I, sweet little Lisa, I hope you are listening because I want my snack phrodisiac for Valentine's Day. Man Crates is offering all of this. You know, I've talked about Man Crates for months. Uh, the last one I got is the whiskey appreciation set. So it came with a cool decanter that I use 
frequently with my initials engraved in it and great whiskey glasses and cool ice holders and everything. And it's got all this great stuff in it, but it comes in a crate. It comes in a crate with a little crowbar. And if you want to get it gift wrapped, it will come uh, wrapped up in duct tape. I think there's a video of me opening the man crate somewhere. And it, you know, it probably was selectively edited to me, you know, because it looked like I, I didn't get it right away. But it, you know, it takes a little struggle. You got to be a man. You got to really do this. When you look on the help page of the website, you say, what happens if I can't open the man crate? It says, try harder. Keep, you know, keep trying. So they have a ton of great options. Uh, they have, it is the only place to find awesome gifts that guys are 1000% guaranteed to love. Uh, this isn't a cologne sampler. This isn't a cheesy mug. Man Crates offers curated gift collections for every type of guy, from the sports fanatic, that's not me, to the home chef, that's a little more me, to the outdoorsman, definitely not me, to the guy who likes stogies, that's the new, I'm getting the new cigar lover appreciation crate. As many of you know, I smoke a thousand cigars a day, and uh, so they've got a great set for uh, cigar enthusiasts. They have great whiskey sets too. Uh, there are classics like the NFL barware crate, uh, fr fresh takes on traditional Valentine's gifts like the jerky heart or the salami bouquet. Ooh, my heart is fluttering. So he will fall head over heels when his gift arrives and he gets to pry the wooden crate open with the included crowbar. They have thousands of five-star reviews. Every gift comes with a complete satisfaction guarantee. I can personally attest to it. I uh, really love this company. I think they're really great. If you don't even want to get a gift, you just want to go kind of more generic and get them a, a gift card, you can order it through Man Crates, and it will come in a block of cement with a hammer, <laughs> and that's how you get your gift card out. It's very fun. Go to mancrates.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, just like Jay-Z's wife's last name, Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, for 5% off. They do not offer this discount anywhere else. So if you're going to get it, and I really think you should, hurry up on Valentine's Day. Get 5% off right now at mancrates.com slash Knowles. Mancrates.com slash Knowles. Okay, we have Allie Stuckey with us, star of CRTV's new show, Allie, and the Daily Wire's own Alicia Krause. Allie, before we get into this, doesn't your show start today? Today, yes, it does. You can see my first video on CRTV.com slash Allie. So make sure that all of you watching go and check that out. And of course, subscribe. Today is also the last day that you can use Allie20 as a discount code. So make sure you do that to get $20 off so you can actually invest in a man crate and buy that for your husband, boyfriend, significant other for Valentine's Day with all the money you saved on your subscription. That is synergy, baby. That is synergy. Okay, we have to get right into the news. I, I do, I'm really looking forward, though, to seeing the show later on. Uh, so, news broke this morning that FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe will step down, although he will remain on the FBI payroll until he's able to resign with full benefits in mid-March, of course. McCabe has been under fire after recent texts and documents suggest he may have been involved in plans to use the government to undermine President Trump's campaign in 2016. Ali, what does this mean for the administration? Uh, well, I think there's been a lot of problems with Andrew McCabe being at this post for a long time. Judicial Watch uh, reported on this a long time ago with all the conflicts of interest, of course, with his wife being funded by McAuliffe and all of that. Uh, so I think it's good for the administration. Now, there are some conflicting reports whether he was actually removed or whether he is just kind of taking his retirement early. Either way, I think it's uh, a one step closer to hopefully draining the swamp. 
This is one, you know, we've heard about draining the swamp for so long, and then you think, well, there are a lot of these bureaucrats still there. This is one example, like, okay, we've got a little swamp rat going down the faucet. Alicia, why are we allowing him to retire with full benefits? Is this a win for Trump, or does the bureaucracy win again? Is he just getting to take his vacation a little early? So he actually, what a lot of people don't understand is he was set to retire in March, but apparently there had been some hubbub and some one of the theories out there that a friend of the uh, Daily Wire had proposed, Guy Benson, said that one of the theories is potentially that because the House Intelligence Committee is voting today on whether or not to release that memo with all of these text messages and things that were happening with the Hillary Clinton investigation and the Russia investigation during the 2016 election and whether or not McCabe and others used their power within the FBI to uh, use illegally surveil Trump and members of his team that maybe that's why he's being forced out right now. Mm. We'll we'll see how that vote goes and what that memo actually does show and, and if the, that House Intelligence Committee decides to vote on that. So what it means for the White House is there's going to be scrutiny here. It means that people are going to say, okay, is this another Mueller type thing where Trump forced him out? Sarah Huckabee Sanders in her press conference earlier with White House pool reporters said absolutely not. The White House was not a part of this decision that it came within you know the leaders of the FBI so it's kind of weird, though. He's taking a quote-unquote terminal vacation, it, and, and it's that just that name sounds creepy to me. But it, that's right. It means that he will be on the payroll. He'll be taking unused vacation time between now and when his official retirement date was up in March. You know, it's funny because Ben keeps offering me a terminal vacation, <laughs> and I've never really known what he's meant by that. I'll have to uh, investigate the case of McCabe. That I, I wonder, especially if the White House really did have nothing to do with this. Mm -hmm. Is this just bureaucrats protecting their own? He could get in hot water if this memo comes out, and so he struck a deal to retire early, and this way he doesn't lose his pension. I, I hope it's not that, but certainly could be. It's uh, in the nature of government to do those sort of things. The Netherlands. Speaking of terminal vacations, this is a little uh, bit of a downer, but it gets to a really important bioethical issue. The Netherlands has approved the assisted suicide of a 29-year-old mentally ill woman on Saturday. This is in keeping with long trends in Europe, especially in the Netherlands, especially in Belgium. The euphemism lefties use for this practice is euthanasia, meaning the good death. Allie, the victim, says she suffered from terrible demons. She begged to die. She wanted to die. Is there any justification for government-sanctioned assisted suicide? Well, there's there's kind of a conundrum here as well. If she is mentally ill, why are we taking her word for it? She should she just shouldn't be the one to determine whether or not um, she should die or or should undergo assisted suicide if she is truly mentally ill. She needs help. Uh, so you see kind of the the conundrum and the quandary that someone is in once you put yourself in the place of God. Um, and that's going to continue to be the case. People are determining uh, whether or not their life or someone else's life is worth living based on a subjective standard of what the world deems worthy or not. And you have to carry that to the nth degree. You have to ask yourself, okay, if someone is very poor, should they be killed or should they be assisted to commit suicide if someone doesn't have a high IQ, if someone can't read very well, if he's not very athletic. And then of course you see the very uh, the very obvious parallel to Nazi Germany. And I, I'm not trying to make that leap uh, to say, okay, you know, it's just a slippery slope. Everyone I don't agree with is Hitler, but that quite literally is what was happening in Nazi Germany. Um, so the fact that we are trying to justify it or cover it up with euphemisms, as you said, uh, I think 
really shows us exactly the direction that we're going and the value that we have on the sanctity of life, which is extremely low, unfortunately. Not everything is comparable to the Nazi regime, but this is. <laughs> this is one of the right. examples when you're killing off people that you deem enfeebled or weak or less than perfect. That, that, I think the comparison is absolutely fair. And of course, when you follow it to its logical conclusion, this means that anybody whose life is less than perfect has just cause to say, I, I want to end it all. And the trouble is, all of our lives are less than perfect. Well, I'm sorry, go on. How ironic that, you know, at last night's Grammys, or we hear from the mouths of people like Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, that it is their Christian duty to do, uh, to think of the least of these when it comes to the 800,000 DACA recipients, but they don't think of the least of these when it comes to uh, sex, uh, you know, decision abortions or abortions that, the decisions that people make if they discover that they're going to have a mentally handicapped, a disabled child. You know, Democrats get their mum on that, and that's totally okay with them. It just goes to show that the left, and specifically these social nations don't really care about the least of these, even though they claim to. 40-year-old illegal aliens, those are dreamers, those are the least of these that we have to take care of, but babies in the womb and the mentally ill who are uh, chronically depressed, those, no, that's okay, we can get rid of those people. Uh, Alicia, do you think this could ever take hold in the United States, a movement toward a greater assisted suicide? Uh, unfortunately, yes. I, I wrote a piece a couple weeks ago about an assisted suicide uh, person that was against it, a JJ, and a, a guy from upstate New York, incredible story, lived three years past when doctors told him that he should have used assisted suicide, ended up having another son, creating e more life even in after he'd gotten his death sentence. He had the same type of brain cancer that uh, Vice President Biden's son, Bo, died of. And we've seen, we've seen the media reports, people like him didn't get coverage, but Brittany Maynard, who was a Californian who moved to Oregon and ended up ending her life via assisted suicide, who had the same type of glaucoma and, and cancer, was lauded by the New York Times, LA Times, Washington Post, even People Magazine, and I think Marie Claire. And so you are seeing this kind of death with dignity, or like you said, they use the phrase euthanasia. They don't even want to use the wording of what it is. It's suicide. And, and I think that unfortunately, this culture of death, we see it with babies in the womb when it comes from the left, and now they're looking into and they have this love affair for some reason with assisted suicide and people choosing to die with dignity um, and it, it's it's quite frankly really scary and really disturbing and it's legal now here in the state of California whenever you hear that's exactly right whenever you hear these euphemisms death with dignity the more ridiculous the more you should pay attention dreamers euthanasia the good the good death exactly in direct proportion to how absurd the euphemism is you can be sure that the thing that it's trying to get around and it's trying to describe around is awful and you should run away from it. The one bit of hope I have here is obviously for terminally ill people, people who are on their last legs, doctors throughout the United States for ever and ever have increased the medicine a little bit, turned up the drugs, have in a more subtle way let people uh, die. This does not mean there's a, a federal regime of assisted suicide. This does not mean there's a right to assisted suicide. This does not mean there are councils determining whose life is worth saving and whose life is worth ending because they're a drain on the system or something like that. It, it is really awful at all times. The, the one bit of hope is that the pro-life movement has been so successful in the United States, even as the entire rest of the Western world has lost its mind on abortion, the United States has become much more pro-life. According to a 2016 Marist survey, national survey, on the actual questions of abortion, not on what do you call yourself pro-life or you call yourself pro-choice, on the actual question 
52% of women, the majority of women, think that abortion should be illegal in 99% of cases. So with those numbers, I am somewhat hopeful that that culture of death won't catch on as it has in Europe. But, you know, I, try, I always try to see the leftist tears tumbler half full of kofefe rather than completely empty. Well, and it shows that the Democratic Party is really out of touch. They work so hard to really adhere to and focus on those women that marched and that are really passionate, this very small group of women that are very passionate because studies also show the majority of millennials, I think over 70% of them, think that abortion should be restricted to just the first trimester. And, you know, this week you have the 20-week abortion ban coming up in the Senate and you have Democratic senators like Kirsten Gillibrand from New York and Kamala Harris from right here in California that are just, you know, uh, uh, clamped and so upset and it is the worst thing in the world that how dare Mitch McConnell bring up this legislation to end abortion federally at 20 weeks but they won't acknowledge that the polling is against them. So I kind of wonder and would ask those women, which women are they really representing when the majority of women do not agree with them? I think they're on the wrong side of history to borrow one of their empty slogans. Okay, we have got to talk about how uh, conservatives are hotter than lefties with our all-beautiful panel of deplorables. But I'm sorry, folks. You know I had to save that for last. If you are on Facebook and YouTube, thanks for watching, but see you later. you got to go to dailywire.com. If you already subscribe, thank you very much. You keep the lights on. You keep Kofefe and my leftist here's Tumblr. That means a lot. If you want to subscribe, it's 10 bucks a month or $100 for an annual membership. What do you get? You get me, you get the Andrew Clavin Show, you get the Ben Shapiro Show, you get the conversation hosted by Alicia. I think I am up next on the conversation. Yep. So you can ask questions, and anybody can watch, but few can ask questions. Many are called, but few are chosen. And you'll get to see the rest of the show. We've got a great disdain history today. Forget all of those things. None of that really matters, right? This, this is what matters. Uh, last night, you're lucky if you didn't watch those Grammys. I watched them, and my apartment flooded to the brim with leftist tears. I was, it was like being in the bottom part of the Titanic. I was gasping for breath at the top until I pulled out my handy-dandy leftist tears tumbler, the only uh, vessel that is 100% guaranteed to store safely your leftist tears, and I was able to save my life, sweet little Elisa's life, my friends, my family, my property. Don't, don't you dare let this uh, let this go. Don't risk your family's lives. Get the Leftist Tears Tumbler. You can have them a hot or cold, always salty and delicious. Get it at dailywire.com right now. We'll be right back. Scientists in a new study published by Cambridge University Press, have discovered that hot people tend to be right-wing. <laughs> the researchers write, quote, controlling for socioeconomic status, we find that more attractive individuals are more likely to report higher levels of political efficacy, identify as conservative, and identify as Republican. Ali Stuckey, Alicia Krauss, I rest my case. <laughs> ladies, yeah. ladies, are you surprised by this, Ali? No, we actually hear about this all the time, I think, especially since Trump took office because he's had such, he surrounds himself, it seems like, with attractive women, not necessarily on purpose. What not a necessarily on purpose, maybe not, <laughs> but a lot of uh, attractive women uh, surround him, I guess. And there was actually an article not too long ago that dissected the women's faces who support Trump. I was in this article, it compared us, Ivanka Trump, even Kellyanne Conway, um, all these people, and apparently we have the same. Uh, facial symmetry or something mm. like that. 
Um, and then I was going to make the argument it's because conservatives are just so much happier than man-hating mm -hmm. feminists, um, and it's our hearts that are actually making us more beautiful because we're just happier and nicer, but then Tommy Laren. So I don't know if I can make that. <laughs> that, is the, that is the wrench in that theory. Alicia. I actually do want to talk about Allie's point. Uh -huh. Lefties are, they're so angry about everything. I had the same thought. I would like to think that it's because, you know, we're good on the inside. That's what I tell my four and a half year old daughter who is really beautiful, but I tell her she has to be sweet and beautiful on the inside as well. <laughs> and that that's all, what people are attracted to in us. And then they listen to our ideas and then they're like, wow, those ideas make way more sense than what MSNBC is spewing. But who knows? I mean, I think maybe when we are appealing to women, fellow women, that those two things are, are a factor, but let's be honest, when we're dealing with dudes, it's all about the outward appearance. But, well, absolutely, of course, that goes without saying. But uh, that's what I want to know. Wh which way does it go? You know, lefties could be sipping a Mai Tai on a float in Turks and Caicos, mm -hmm. and they would find something to complain about. Um, is it, which way does it go? Do, do more contented people just tend to be conservative, or are conservatives more likely to be contented? Is this a chicken or an egg? kind of thing. I, maybe the latter. I think it's definitely the latter. But, you know, an interesting observation is someone here in L.A. You know that that uh, episode of The Office where Ryan talks about how Pam is like a Scranton 7 but a New York 5? Yeah, in sure. In L.A., everyone's like a 12 <laughs> compared to the rest of the country. I, I myself think I'm like an Oklahoma 7. Who knows? But there's this element of like, if you look at the mainstream media, if you look at last night's Grammys, if you look at the Oscars that are coming up in a couple of weeks, everyone in middle America will think, oh my God, all the coolest, hottest people must be leftists because that's what they're seeing all the time. I think we need to like blast this study you know, far and wide so they understand that it's okay to come to the dark side People on the right are pretty too. It's okay. Don't. It's fine. <laughs> We've got all the hotties. You just don't see them on your TVs. Exactly. Okay, ladies. Well, thank you for being here. This was very nice to see you. Finally, in our last few minutes, we're going to get to this day in history. Allie, best of luck on the show today. I look forward to watching. Thank you. Alicia, I'll see you like outside my studio in like 10 minutes. Okay. Okay. See you guys. Now it's time for this day in history. This day in history. On this day in history in 1820, King George III died. You will remember King George III from when we whooped his greatest military force in the world during the Revolutionary War and won a country for ourselves. Because of this unhappy connection, Americans sometimes take a glib and dismissive view of George III. His 4,000-pound statue in downtown Manhattan became the first casualty in America's increasing obsession with toppling monuments. The mob did have a good reason in that case, though. After the Declaration of Independence was read for the first time publicly in New York on July 9, 1776, a group of future soldiers stormed downtown to melt the statue for bullets. That's fair enough. That's a, that's a decent use. By the outbreak of the war, George III had not even received the Declaration of Independence. On the question of various burdens to pay for the French and Indian War, like the stamp tax, George III was generally more sympathetic than his government to the colonists' concerns. Uh, the tax burdens on the colonists were far lower than those imposed on George's subjects in Britain. Uh, in, indeed, the, they were the lowest in the Western world, the taxes imposed on the American colonists. Uh, George was generally fairly universalist in his charity. Uh, one of the complaints, actually, that our founding fathers listed in the Declaration of Independence is that the king had defended the rights of, quote, merciless Indian savages. <laughs> he was too nice to the Indians. Uh, after the Revolutionary War, uh, King George III was very frank about this. You know, th this is a guy who had a great character and reputation in, in Britain. He, I, I believe he was 
shockingly loyal and faithful to his wife. He may have been the only royal ever in history to be faithful to his wife. This was a, a guy of good classical education, good morality. And after the war, he said, quote, I will be very frank with you. I was the last to consent to the separation, but the separation having been made and having become inevitable, I had always said, as I say now, that I would be the first to meet the friendship of the United States as an independent power. He didn't want to lose the, um, the Americas and the United States, but having lost them, he met him, them as gentlemen and as separate independent powers. When Benjamin West, George's royal court painter and a good old Pennsylvania boy, told King George III that George Washington would step down as leader of the United States after two terms, George responded, if he does that, he will be the greatest man in the world. So while we find ourselves battling the statue topplers who want to tear down and erase our history, all of the great men who built our country, perhaps we should be an example and take an even broader and more charitable view and give even former foes like George III their due. So RIP George III, a good, a good king. We had our differences. We fought a war over it. And now he's a good guy. We should look back on him with some dignity. Okay, that's our show. I am Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Come back tomorrow. We'll do it all again. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Marshall Benson. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Overa. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire Forward Publishing production. Copyright Forward Publishing 2018.